Welcome to the Wild and Free Podcast, Episode 5. I'm Ainsley Arment, and I'm here with Tina Ingold. Today, we're going to hear an amazing talk by Jody Mockaby from our Wild and Free Conference in Texas last fall. So grab a cup of coffee and join us on the front porch. Let's get started. to do is take trips just even overnights with our kids someplace that is kind of educational but they Mm. don't know it and we are never going to tell them like we like to stay at farms organic farms and they find like a Mm. airbnb that's on an organic farm and then learn from them and they get to feed the animals and it's really fun but we're not we don't tell our kids hey guys let's go we're going to go have an educational field trip this week instead of doing our homeschool we don't ever say that we just do it but it counts for me as homeschool i mean it's just this is real life learning this is fun and playful but I don't need to tell them every time I'm hoping that they're learning through play like I don't pull Mm -hmm. out the games and say okay now it's time for the playful learning (laughs) we just pull them out and they think it's fun and we're playing but I'm totally thinking that it counts as learning because they're counting cards they're doing math they're doing analytical thinking and all sorts of things so we're just playing around with manipulatives and things like that I don't ever say okay this is our next part of school you know I try to just lay everything out and um, just allow everything to be really integrated and not it's like how do like I think of playful Mm -hmm. learning is when do my kids not know that they're learning that's when I feel like I've arrived and it doesn't happen all the time because something happens the baby's crying I'm like oh I gotta go do this or get dinner started but you know when it does I'm like this is why I love homeschooling because I can do this and they don't even know they're learning or we can go here and they can learn but not even think of it because they're just having so much fun and I'm notorious for like going to the library and getting books or buying new resources at thrift stores that are learning but I don't give them to the kids and tell them to read them I may not even read them to them because I don't have it planned out and it's just kind of an extra but I'll just leave them out yes strewn yes. across the coffee table mm-hmm. put things around and sometimes it's brilliant it works perfect they pick mm-hmm. it up I see mm-hmm. them devouring the books and I'm like <laughs> you know like, yes <laughs> got you but sometimes <laughs> I love it for three weeks those books will sit there and like the day before wow. they're due I'm like hey did you guys see this and then it totally fails because <laughs> they're not and they're like yeah we're not you know so it doesn't always work it's just a constant <laughs> activity of trying to and Jody Mockaby, she talked about this in Wimberley at the conference yes, there about remember. strewing, putting, strewing. The, mm-hmm. you know, it's the art of strewing is putting things out and leaving them for kids to discover because kids are that much more welcoming of the ideas if they feel like they've discovered it versus mm-hmm. you giving it to them. So yeah, like, hey, kids, look what I yeah, did. Yeah. Look what I got you. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. Like, oh, a book <laughs> on how a frog mates. Okay. Yeah. You know. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, like one never. Of my, somebody might that. be interested in that, but not. Yeah. I'm not gonna say, what did you get me? Oh, you know. Right. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. That's what we do too. Ever since I, Jody, I heard her talking and, but yeah, we've kind of done the same thing. Like, cause I order, I order everything from Amazon. It's just so easy. Mm. It gets here in two days, free shipping. So I do that. I order books and then I open them and lay them out. Although usually my kids are the ones who get the mail. So they open them. Of course. Yeah, they're so excited because they know they're for them. But I think, you know, as homeschooling parents, we really have to invest in things like that. We have to get all the books and manipulatives and things like that because, I mean, this is our life, Mm -hmm. you know. So Mm -hmm. I think it's worth every penny to just invest in those kinds of things. It really is. And board Mm -hmm. games. Even if you can only get one new thing a semester. Absolutely. I've been homeschooling for, this is our, we're at the end of our sixth year. And there's things that I've been wanting for years. And I just have never been able to, you know, it's been the wrong timing to pull the trigger financially or to get something. So, you know, you can just do it in little increments. You don't have to feel like you have to have it all. You know, I think we see pictures on Instagram or of mom's amazing spaces for homeschooling or even their resources. Mm -hmm. And everybody's in a different position, but you can gather those things over time. You don't have to start homeschooling with anything, but you're so right. Like if I could buy myself a new outfit or invest in a homeschooling resource, I would buy a homeschooling resource. Absolutely. Anytime. Yes, exactly so I think that's how I about. feel is that they are so worth the investment. You don't need them to start, but as you gather them, they will be such a rich addition to their learning. In just a little bit, you're going to hear a talk by Jody Mockaby from our Wild and Free conference in Texas last fall. She talks about homeschooling, some misconceptions about unschooling, a concept called strewing, and how play is a higher form of learning. You're going to love it. That's coming up in just a little bit. resourceful. I mean, there are so many options from goodness, you can find almost anything online now, but also, you know, do book swaps with friends mm-hmm. or game swaps. If you know, you know, some friends have a game that you want or, or whatever it is, you know, flashcards, anything, you know, swap with them. And I think there's just so many ways to be resourceful in that yes. way too. Yes. In making things out of natural yes. objects. You talked about the story cubes in one of our podcasts. Mm-hmm. We could make your own out of stones, so, you know, draw little Absolutely. pictures. There's all sorts of ways to gather resources without breaking the bank. I agree with you. Books and any sort of really high quality manipulative I want in my possession because the library is great. We do do the library, but the kids would rather have the book on their shelf. You know, they want to, and I want my kids to feel like they have a library of their own that they can go to. And my parents, um, I wasn't homeschooled, but they did value my appreciation for books and my desire to be like a voracious reader. So I had a library that I could even bring with me and now share with my own kids it's really neat because they're a part of my childhood they're now a part of their childhood and I want them to be able to collect things too as they're able and it's neat because they will because I value those things and invest money in them they do they'll save up their money to buy a new book that I can't get them right now over something else well I don't want to get it from the library I want to buy it okay well just save up your dollars and (laughs) yes and they do and sometimes they won't they'll just go buy a toy but sometimes they'll just buy a book and it's like (laughs) oh my heart just goes crazy. Yeah. Yes, I know. Something that we invested in, uh, this has probably been a couple years now, but it's something called Tinker Crate. And I've actually seen other Wild and Free moms Hmm. use them too. But it's basically, it's a subscription, but once a month you get a box and it's a kit. Now they have different 
crates. There's like koala crate is for younger kids. And uh, I can't remember all the crates names, but Tinker Crate is for, I think it's ages eight to 14 or eight to 16. And it's, it's all kind of science related. It's either something robotics mm-hmm. or like circuit boards, electronics, you know, it's been great for my oldest who's nine because I mean, he opens it up, the instructions come with it and he can put it together. And so that has been a really amazing resource for us. But I think there's a lot of subscription based things mm-hmm. like that too, that the kids can look forward to getting and it's very practical. So neat. I've seen that too. too. I've seen yeah. that too. And I thought, yeah. you know, that looks really neat. I've seen a few of those different boxes, but Tinker Crate was one of them and a really worthwhile addition to learning and just to infusing play into your learning, you know, that they're going to be excited about. Now we're going to hear from Jody Mockaby. She gave this talk at our conference last fall in Wimberley, Texas. You're going to love her humor, her down-to-earth perspective, and the practical wisdom she shares with all of us. Jody is one of our featured contributors in our monthly Wild and Free content bundles. If you've never seen one of our monthly content bundles, you can get a free sample right now by going to bewildandfree.org/bundles. Let's join Jody now at the Old Glory Ranch in Wimberley, Texas. So I'll be telling you guys a little bit of what unschooling is and then our adaptation to it. And then I'll give you just a few tips that we've been learning this year so far as to how to kind of encourage that learning environment. I'm going to give you two statistics really quick to just kind of marinate on while I, while I speak. Math, the entire curriculum of math, a 12-year curriculum of math actually only takes eight weeks to complete and master. Eight weeks, you guys. If the child is cognitively ready, it will only take eight weeks. So in unschooling, when I kind of dove into the research, I learned that children were teaching themselves math, you know, maybe in high school. Maybe they never opened a math book. And then their freshman year of high school or sophomore year, they wanted to do something and they needed math as a requirement. And they taught themselves an entire K through 12 curriculum in eight weeks. So it's possible when the child's cognitively ready. But I'm thinking, we like make our kids cry every day over math for 12 years, like 12 years of crying, you know? And we can avoid that and just let them wait until they're freshmen and they're motivated to learn or something. I haven't let go of math yet, so I can't necessarily say that, but it is pretty inspiring knowing that and just understanding the brain. It's really important to understand that. Another statistic with reading, regardless of learning disabilities, this is according to my research, It should only take 30 hours to teach a child to read. The key is them being cognitively ready. So you see people throw their kids in preschool at like the age of two, and they're just like monkeys putting these flashcards in front of their kids. It takes a kid six weeks to learn what an A is, you know? And it's like, we'll wait until the child is six or seven or just cognitively ready, and it'll take like a minute for them to learn what the letter A is. So it seems like a lot of wasted time, time that can be spent connecting, time that can be spent in nature, time that could be spent in childhood in general. Having all this repetition going on until the child is cognitively ready, that readiness is what we're looking for. So that's a big part of unschooling. Unschooling is an educational philosophy or method that supports interest-based learning. It's letting the child receive their education through natural life experiences, such as household responsibility, which Lindsay talked about, free play, books, internships, travel, etc. Anything going on in their environment, the child is learning naturally through that. 
It's trusting, and this is the key word that the Lord has really been working through me this year on, and knowing that they'll naturally bring on their own education. It's committing to be a partner with them in that journey. Whatever their experiences are, they're actually fully invested in them because it's their own. It's birthed from their own ideas and their curiosity, not from knowledge that I just fed them. In fact, scientific studies prove that when you're interested in something, your dopamine levels rise. And when your dopamine levels rise, it sends messages to your reward center in your brain, and it puts that information in an easily accessible place so you can pull from it at any time. And that would explain why, why any of you who were raised in traditional education, we forget most of it because we weren't interested in it. But we do remember what we were interested in. Same with books, talks, you know, all of that stuff. If you're interested in it, your dopamine levels are rising, and so you're paying attention, and your brain is actually putting that right here in an accessible place. So it kind of makes sense that we would teach our children where their interests are. Otherwise, again, it's not effective teaching. A good example of this is one of our favorite U.S. historical figures, Benjamin Franklin. He was a passionate inventor, a brilliant writer, a skilled printer, a friendly politician, and an unschooler. <laughs> Benjamin Franklin, his father sent him to a ministry school, and he actually didn't even finish. It was at the age of seven. He couldn't even finish the full year because his father realized it was kind of a waste of time and that that's not the direction that Benjamin would probably go in in life. The next year, he enrolled him in a math and writing school, and he actually did flourish in, in writing and reading and really enjoyed that. Um, however, he wasn't the greatest student at math, and this frustrated his father paying money for him to go to a school when he wasn't really able to flourish. So his father pulled him out because he wanted him to, you know, hold his weight in the home, and he had him start working as an apprentice in their candle shop. And Benjamin was not interested in candle making. And because of that, if you've seen a child in a subject that they're not interested in, they may cause mischief because they're not invested. So he was causing mischief, and he just he wasn't a great addition to this business. So his father was being very frustrated, sent him to his oldest son's printing shop, and it's there where Benjamin just fell in love with the written word. He was in his place, and he began to teach himself how to write like a lot of these writers that he was printing the works of. And he just flourished in that because it was his own. So he may have not been a great student, he wasn't that brilliant student in math or whatever, but once it became his own, and it was based off of his own interest, he started flourishing. And, and that's why we have this story about him that we have today, rather than, you know, Benjamin Franklin, the candle maker. So it was based off, his, off of his own experience. And his parents, I have to say, partnered with him. Well, it seemed a little bit like tough love, but they parented with him because they did notice that it wasn't working out. And his father continued to move him forward into other areas. And, and there's that partnership you're looking at. Rather than just making him stay the candle maker for the rest of his life, we wouldn't have had that story. We can also look to many other historical figures whom we have been admired, and they technically were unschooled. It wasn't necessarily a chosen method. It wasn't even considered a method at the time but it was more out of necessity, were able to use their lives as an example of people who thrived by following their own passions. A wonderful example of this, again, is Laura Ingalls Wilder. She was unschooled. She had three years of school, and here we all 
own these cherished pieces from her, and she had this beautiful, rich, pioneer lifestyle. If she was in school every single day, we wouldn't have those stories from her, and yet she still thrived, and, and we have beautiful pieces of work from her because of that. So those are some examples of unschooling. Um, we can look to history and see a lot of unschooling and see a lot of success from that. Education is actually a newer concept in this nation. So it's just interesting to kind of critically think about that a little bit. So how does unschooling look like in our home? Well, I can't be honest and say that we entirely unschool. When I spoke with the children kind of about the, the word bold and what that looked like for our year, we had a lot of discussion about that, and they were a big part of figuring out what our education would be like this year. They wanted to keep math, ironically and weirdly. So they still do math every day. We have our morning collective time, which is similar to the morning meeting. This is probably about two hours long, and this is where we do Bible, we do some memory work during that time. I read aloud for anywhere from you know an hour to an hour and a half, and then we just really connect. We talk about our goals, we talk about the projects that they're personally working on, we talk about people to pray for and things to do. And that is just a really special, cherished time. That is not considered school for any of us. That's just a privilege for us to be together and to just go through rich literature together and go on that journey and travel together, as Sarah had mentioned last night. So we have that. And then they also, their other daily discipline is um, they have a required nap or reading time. And so my poor 10-year-old is still forced to nap in his bed. He chooses to read. They can choose to read. So... Sometimes the older kids will choose to sleep if they're exhausted, so it's kind of a good time to decompress, but that is a daily discipline. And then we still notebook twice a week. I kept that. They kind of wanted to ditch that, but I kept that because I was trying to convince them that it is a way to track what we're learning. So they notebook about whatever we're reading or their experiences or experiments or any of that, and so they have been able to track that and look back and really see what we've, what we've learned through the year. Otherwise, it's pretty hard to track. So we definitely have a, a rhythm to our days and weeks. I feel like it's opposite of what originally I thought unschooling was. I always associated unschooling with a lack of discipline, and I'm learning that it's not, so no offense to those who unschool. In fact, discipline has nothing to do with the method. It has everything to do with the parent, and that can be right with any method. It has to do with the relationship with their children and their joint perspective on learning and life's habits. In our home, we're committed to learning, and we're committed to working hard. And the children know that we'll spend our day doing so. It just looks different than this planned out spreadsheet or a task list or a box curriculum or what our neighbors are doing or our friends are doing. It's following an immediate interest and having the freedom to just follow it through. So in the middle of a read aloud, we'll, I'll read something about a Native American cradle board. And, you know, a kid will, excuse me what's a cradle board? And so then we would talk about the baby being wrapped up, which kind of leads to swaddling, which leads to womb environment, which leads to pregnancy, which leads to birds and the bees, <laughs> which is always awkward, um, but it's so fun to talk about. <laughs> and do, you know, so. <laughs> um, so... I mean, that's why we all have like seven kids at least in this room, so we'll, we'll get rid of that elephant right now. 
I have to say, this year, as we've been going through this little unschooling journey, it keeps bringing back a situation from my childhood that has deeply impacted my parenting and educational philosophy. And that was when I turned 16, the day I turned 16, actually. I went to get my driver's license at the DMV, and I got my driver's license, went to school, and then came home for dinner, and my parents sat me down, and they said, let's talk about expectations now that you have this new freedom. I'm waiting for the list, you know? And they basically say, here's the deal. You have no curfew. You can drive with whoever you want. You can go wherever you want. You can leave for San Francisco tonight if you want. We don't care. The only expectation we have is that you call wherever you're at. Well, that sounds actually easy right now, but back then there weren't cell phones. So to always have to have quarters, I mean, that's a huge responsibility for a 16-year-old. So I don't know. That was tough. But at that moment, I had just realized what they had placed on me. That was huge for me. And and so for a moment, I just had to think about it and think, wait, would I rather have rules? Because that seems like it would be a little bit easier. Then you just kind of do things out of fear and what you're told to do, and you don't have to think. You just know you have to be home by a certain time. Instead, I use their trust in me as a motivation to make really wise decisions because I honored their perspective. I could see what they were trying to do there. They were trying to instill freedom, but they were also trying to instill this trust in me that I, che- that I should cherish and I should honor. My hope is in this season that my children take that freedom and they understand what it means. And we have, I have plenty of conversations about that. I mean, I'm sure you all do. Like, you could be in school right now and you would be sitting at a desk and you would be tired, and you'd be having to do this, and you'd have a test on Friday. That's right, and you'd get a C, you know? <laughs> so, or an F, probably an F for my kids. So, <laughs> so I want them to really understand the freedom that they have in our household, and my hope is that they'll honor that, and that if they need to work on something, that they'll actually notice it themselves and tell me. And this has been really hard to do this year. I'll be honest, it's been really hard. And just when I start questioning this whole method or philosophy, something really beautiful comes from it. About three weeks ago, so my oldest son Carter is just, he really is a dream to school because he does everything on his own and kind of He's just beyond, I don't know how that happened, but it's awesome. So with spelling, we've never had to work with spelling. If he reads the word, he remembers it, and so he's smarter than me, basically. Everett, my second son, is very different from him. We've been working on spelling for two years. The last two years when we were, you know, kind of more in a Charlotte Mason thing, we were working on spelling. His spelling never really improved. He's not a great speller. And this was so frustrating to me because it was a daily discipline that we spent a lot of time on, and yet there wasn't a lot of progress going on. And so sometimes I would question, is there a learning disability here? Is it a lack of motivation? Is it a lack of caring? Is he just not ready? Like, is he not ready to spell? Is it possible that a kid can read, but they're not ready to spell? You know, I have all these thoughts in my mind. And this year, in an effort to be bold, I let spelling go. I just, I let it go. I wasn't going to do that. I wasn't going to worry. I wasn't going, I was just going to see what happened. Because again, this year is kind of an experiment for us. Three weeks ago, we're at church, and church is over, and he comes up from his Sunday school class, and he has this beautiful 
kind of mixed media collage of Jesus on the cross. And in big black bold letters, like permanent marker letters, J-U-S-U-S, just us. Just us. I didn't know if I should laugh or cry or like spank his bottom. Like, you misspelled Jesus? You know, like now we're unholy and I'm a bad teacher. So <laughs> this is, I was astounded. It was just, oh my word. How, and then so I looked at it and I said, Everett, can you look at this? Just look at it for a second. And he looks at it and he goes, oh my word. You know, Oh, my word. I said, yeah, you misspelled Jesus. I misspelled Jesus. Oh, man, that's a bummer. I'm like, yes, it's a bummer. (laughs) You know? So I said, I'm not hanging this on my wall. You know that, right? You know? And he's like, I totally understand. So we had it. It was very light. It wasn't heavy. But, you know, inside I'm dying. And I'm just like, Lord, what are you doing to me right now? Like, his Sunday school teacher thinks I'm an awful teacher and whatever. You know, all those thoughts come. You know those thoughts. I know you've had them. So I just gave it up. I just tried to not think about it. Three days later, we're in this morning collective time, and we're talking about goals and different things like that. And, and he, excuse me, Mommy, I am ready to learn how to spell. And it was kind of like a, can you say that again? You know, like, I didn't hear it. I'm ready to learn how to spell. And I said, okay, well, do you know what's involved in learning how to spell? And he goes, discipline. And I said, yeah, is that what's been missing the last two years? I'm just curious, you know? And he goes, yeah, I never cared. I'm like, it would have been nice to know that, you know, earlier. So the last three weeks we've been working on spelling, he has been so diligent, it was brought on by his own effort, whether or not an awkward social situation that he was really embarrassed about, praise the Lord that happened, (laughs) brought it on. I don't care. The fact is that it was his choice, and he noticed it, and he's been so diligent. His spelling has improved more in the last three weeks than it did in those two years. And it came down to the fact that I finally honored his readiness in that. And by me honoring his readiness, he honored my time. It was like, okay, I'm not going to waste your time, Mom. I'm ready, you know? So there's that beautiful relationship that you have when you give your children freedom, but they have the kind of understanding of what that freedom means. It means they have a responsibility, you know? So it was a really special, fruitful moment for us. And there's been a lot of those really neat moments in this unschooling kind of journey. So I'd like to give you some ideas for applying this in your home. It doesn't necessarily mean you need to go home and throw away your plans and everything like that. But there are some tools that can help you kind of develop that self-led learning in your household. One of them is to practice the art of strewing. And this is fun. I had never even considered this until I kind of dove into the unschooling research, but when you get Amazon Prime, which is like every day, right, showing up at your door, and you get a book or you get new art supplies or something fun like that, an experiment kit or something, rather than presenting it to your child like, look, look what we got, come, let's read this beautiful book, come children, come, you know, Um, instead, instead of that beautiful picture, Place it out for your children to discover on their own. And this has been fun. I just had never considered that. 
Um, if you place it out for them to discover on their own, they have their very own perception of what that means to them. They're able to just be in it and explore it on their own rather than you telling them and feeding them the knowledge of, this is the same author and illustrator of your favorite book. Guess what? Kids are smart. Like my four-year-old the other day, I left this book Pond out and write it down because it's a beautiful book. It's just called Pond. It's by Jim LaMarche. We have a book written and illustrated by him called The Raft, and it's one of our family favorites. Anyone have that one or know what I'm talking about? Oh, it's so special. I found the book Pond. I didn't even know he had written it, and it came Amazon Prime, you know. The next morning, I had just set it kind of down on our rug, and, and the kids usually kind of read the first thing in the morning. They pull books out and read. And the twins had discovered it first, and they're going through it, and, you know, in their little toddler voices... They call each other Gussie and Lili for August and Elias. And Gussie, Gussie, this is the same as the raft, you know? And Gus goes, yeah, Lili, yes, it's the raft. Go get the raft, go get the raft. And so one runs upstairs to get the raft, and they're comparing the books. And that moment for them was just such a moment of exploration because they, on their own, had discovered that they found the book that was the same writer. They, couldn't, they didn't have the words to say it, but they figured it out, you know? And so then they were able to tell the older kids, and the older kids were able to affirm them in that. And I would have robbed that whole situation from them if I would have opened up the book and, look at the beautiful illustrations. It's your favorite writer. And, you know, so um, the art of strewing it, it just opens up that exploration for them and gives them their very own perspective on whatever it is that you'd like to kind of present to them. And the next one is become a student of your child and take notes. So with unschooling, you have a lot of time to do this because you're not a teacher. So you have this little notebook, and it's the, the field note ones on Amazon. They're the perfect size to go in your pocket. But I just, when I see my kids really involved in a project, I'll have my notebook and I'll just take notes on kind of what they're doing and what they're learning. And it's a really great way to track the learning threads that they go through. By taking notes and watching their learning threads, you're able to see that they actually do experience art, history, science, all of the subjects if you just give them time. It just doesn't look systematic. It's all over the place. But if you take notes, then you look at it and you go, wow. So my children have been in this phase of dogs. I don't know why. I'm not even an animal person. I'm not a dog person. So it's like, dogs? You're going to choose dogs to be interested in? Like, I can't help you with that, you know? So you have fun with that. But they got all these dog books from the library. And for weeks, they have been studying dogs. And they go through the history of dogs. My oldest son brings the globe over, and he's showing them where these dog breeds are coming from, temperaments. It has just been this long process of them. Finally, on one of our morning collectives, I had asked them, what is the overall goal of this dog project? I'm just curious. What's your end goal? And they were like, oh, it's to find out the perfect dog for our family. I was like, okay. And if you need to know, apparently it's some odd breed of like a duck tolling retriever. That's the perfect dog for our family, guys. It's good with kids. It's a medium size. It doesn't shed. So they can give you the whole history on it as well. But so by me taking notes, I was able to track, like, they're doing analysis, they're doing history, teamwork, science. It, it got to a point where 
they went into dog breeding, and then it was exciting for them to follow dog breeding, and then that led into genetics, and then I was able to just kind of jump in on the genetics train. So you're making all these notes, and you're tracking their, their learning threads, and they're great teachers. They don't need you involved in anything. I mean, it's a beautiful thing to watch. So it's also a tool for how to enrich their further education. So as this was happening, once it kind of got to the genetics part, where maybe I could jump in because I could distract them from the dogs, you know? That's when I, because of my notes, I was able to say, oh, okay, cool, they're genetics. And I wrote a few books down, like Gregor Mendel and different ones like that, that I can introduce to them to maybe sway that interest a little bit. So now they're on to botany and genetics, and it's really exciting because it's not about dogs. <laughs> um, but it's a great way to just take notes and become a student of your child. Again, this is preaching to the choir about exposing them to the real world, but oftentimes um, with homeschooling, we become so, because it's so pleasant at home that we just kind of stay there. One of the biggest advantages to unschooling is you have this time to really expose them to um, different internship opportunities and really seek out mentors for your kids. Any trusted adult that you really admire or teenager, we have this beautiful family that um, we've just kind of leached onto. And their oldest children, I'm paying their oldest boys to put together a survival curriculum for my kids. And they're, they're taking my two oldest boys on three different weekends to teach survival. And so not only was it out of, you know, an idea of trying to get them to learn these survival skills, and I knew it's something they would enjoy, but the mentorship of those older children, um, I want them sewing into them at that level in nature. So really seek out relationships for your children from people that you trust. It's a really important part of unschooling. And also serve. Serve through hard work. My husband is really good at this. I am not. So I'm not taking any credit for this. But... My husband gets all five kids, and he, he makes them get in their work clothes, and often on Saturdays after we have our own work day, he will um, load up wood in the truck and, and make the kids go from house to house and, and load up wood for um, widows and single moms in our church. And it's been so beautiful to watch the children work super hard, but it's not for us, just being servants. And I'm so grateful that he has that servant heart um, but that is really important to see your children serve. And you could be wearing a baby and doing it, you know, start them so young to just have that servant's heart. And then the last tip for bringing unschooling into your home is set aside a big chunk of play. And I know you guys, again, are really good at this. But one thing that I noticed in the difference of unschooling versus our, the last two years is I would send them outside between subjects so that they could run their energy off. That was kind of the, the goal and the motive. And then they would play, and that would be neat. Because we eliminated so much this year, sports and all different other commitments, they have about five hours when we're done with our morning collective to play. And they're outside that whole time. And it usually takes about a half an hour, if you watch your kids, when they're released from your read-aloud time or whatever, whatever subject you're working on, it takes about a half an hour for them to kind of get into their groove, into their imaginary world of whatever is going on. Usually they're kind of dinking around and swinging or something like that. But then after about a half an hour, they start collecting sticks, and then they create this world. And that's when things start evolving, and they kind of get in this groove. And that can go for hours. 
it's just magnetic. All of the kids, once one kid has an idea, the rest of them kind of join in on that. And I think that's because they have the luxury of the time to do that. And if you look back in history, it's the same thing with these children like Laura Ingalls and Benjamin Franklin is they had these household chores in the morning and then they pretty much had the rest of the day. It's that where their mind expands. And we all know that play is a really higher form of learning. It's important and it's something that we often overlook. It's something that is kind of the luxury for when, no, we need to finish this. No, play is more important than that. And I know there's seasons for, to buckle down and to, you know, academically be on it, but play does so much for them, and it spurs on so many ideas and working with people. And as you know, like, it's surprising how hard it is to find good employees. My husband has the same problem all the time. He's like, we have five open positions right now, and we can't hire anyone because nobody has the character or the people skills. They talk in text language. They need the people skills, they need the teamwork, all of that. There's so much going on there that sometimes we forget to see what in play, what is actually happening. So as you can see, unschooling is very organic in nature. It's incredibly unpredictable. It's a fun and a wild ride to take on with your child. But I think the success in it is just being a partner with your child and helping them discover their interests and their gifts. And the building of the trust in that relationship is just so... It's, it's something to be cherished and honored. So I know it's not for everybody, but I hope at least you can kind of take this and, and hold it in your heart for a season that you may need it. Maybe you need it this season. I don't know, but it's just a really fresh breath of air. And I would encourage you to kind of incorporate it at certain times when you're feeling overwhelmed because it's, it's become a really beautiful thing for our family. So thank you guys so much for letting me walk alongside you such an honor. I hope you all enjoyed what Jody shared with us today. You have just a few more days to get our playful content bundle that's available right now. You can get it by going to bewildandfree.org bundles. Jody put together a special section that I think you'll enjoy. Also, if you haven't heard about it, our Wild and Free family camp is taking place this August 25th through 27th at Trail West Lodge in Buena Vista, Colorado. This is a chance for you and your family to get out into nature, make unforgettable memories, and have an adventure of a lifetime. Not to mention, you'll meet so many like-minded families, and you'll walk away with friends for life. To learn more, just go to bewildandfree.org slash family camp. That's all the time we have for today, but join us next time on the Wild and Free Podcast. Uh-huh.